Hey, thanks for joining us. You're listening to Living Fountains with Pastor Jim Stewart of Calvary Chapel, Kansas City. Today, our study is in the book of 1 Samuel. If you're in a place where you can grab your Bible and follow along with us, we invite you to do so. And if you'd like more information on Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, you can visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. Now, let's join Pastor Jim for today's study. Old Samuel is uh, now in this portion of Scripture, gone to be with the Lord. So Samuel's leaving the scene. And uh, we've just seen David just do some, you know, handle himself really well, uh, handle himself wisely. He really, I think, great restraint in chapter 24 as he spares Saul's life. And you remember as we'd gone through that in our recent study and just uh, got some great stuff from that. Uh, as far as just general application for our own lives and just the acceptance that ultimately God's in control of things and to leave room for God to work and uh, even in difficult times and some of the, the situations that, that we face that God's got a way of kind of uh, allowing some of those things and uh, those might very well be anointed times and circumstances that are allowed to help shape and mold our lives. So good things we got out of that and now as we get into chapter 25 we kind of see a whole other dynamic set in as um, we see uh, beginning off here, then Samuel died. So it's kind of thinking about that as Samuel had died and the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him in his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down uh, to the wilderness of Paran. And, you know, I was just thinking about what might have been going on in somebody like uh, uh, Saul's mind and then somebody like David's mind. What might have been happening in their minds with Samuel? Think about it. Samuel knew both of these guys very well. Samuel anointed each of them to be king, didn't he? It's pretty radical when you think about this. Now, for Saul, Saul's part of this, Saul also knows that Samuel knew about the situation that happened when he did the sacrifices that he wasn't supposed to do and the bleeding of the sheep, you remember, and when his garment was torn, you know, and he said, hey, just as you've grabbed a hold of my robe and tore my garment, so will the kingdom be, has, has been torn from you this day. You know, remember, we, we learned about that and how, how that kind of transpired. You know, Samuel is keenly aware of those events in those times. Now, for Saul, maybe this is, hey, blessed subtraction. Glad that guy's off the scene because he knows what really went down that day. But now, David also would be hanging on to, David knows that Samuel also knows that Samuel had anointed him in the Lord to be king. And not everybody knows any of that. That's this limited information, really, to some extent. Now, people see that. They see the anointing upon his life. So he might be thinking just the opposite. Oh, my goodness. The, the one other guy that really knows the truth about this, now he's gone. Think of what might be going on in some of these guys' minds as, as Samuel leaves the scene. He was, remember, uh, the last of the judges, the first of the prophets, you know, and he's kind of this transitional figure that leads into this whole time period of, of the rule and reign with the kings of Israel. Obviously, God looking for this, this man, David, you know, the man after his own heart. So let's, let's pick it up now. Let's get going in verse 2. Now, all of that was just conjecture. That was just some thoughts that I've been thinking about, about what might be going on in that situation because these guys were people just like us. They could be thinking just, oh man, that guy's gone. Oh no, that guy's gone. This guy, no. You know, just things to think about. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. Now, 
Uh, this area of Carmel was not, this is not Mount Carmel, this is another area. So there's two areas in Israel. One's Mount Carmel, and this is another area closer to where David was running and, and hanging out. And the man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep, 3,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and his, the name of his wife was Abigail. Now, good things about Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. Neat gal. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was a, of the house of Caleb. Interesting little background thoughts. I kind of was thinking about Nabal in, in general, and before we get into it, because eventually they say Nabal was his name, and so he acts as his name, basically, and we get into that in a few minutes. But his name means fool or foolish. And, uh, you know, I was kind of thinking about the specific definitions. I wrote some of the things down that have to do with fool. One is without reason. So it's kind of interesting just to tuck these away as we go through this, because if you tuck this away now, it starts to make a lot more sense than just, oh, Nabal did this or this guy did that. Man, what does his name mean? How did he act? Without reason. Fool also implies reckless and inconsiderate. Reckless and inconsiderate. So when we act recklessly, we're being fools, and when we're inconsiderate, we're being foolish. The lack of common sense perception of the reality of things, both natural and spiritual. That's interesting, huh? As a definition of fool. The lack of common sense perception of the reality of things, both natural and spiritual. In Psalm 14, verse 1, this is kind of the beginning of a, of a fool's problems, so to speak. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none who does good. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. This is the beginning of trouble. A foolish person immediately states, there is no God. In the Proverbs, it talks a little bit about foolish dealings or things that, that are unfortunately tied to being foolish. In uh, Proverbs chapter uh, 1, verse 7, you don't have to look all these up, but I'll just read through them because I'm going to go through a few of them fairly quickly. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. It just kind of gives you these contrasting viewpoints sometimes in the Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, we already know in the Psalms that it said, you know, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. So you start seeing this, this contrasting. And just think about our world today and the world's view of what we believe, you know, as far as the truth of who God is. And, and you know, that but the world is really foolish. And we, we see this as we go through. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. The next scripture is uh, chapter 10. Verse 23 in Proverbs. We're just going to go through some of the Proverbs quickly because he has quite a few things to, to say about it. 10.23. To do evil is like sport to a fool, but a man of understanding has wisdom. So it's just that contrasting viewpoint. To do evil is like sport to a fool. It took me a little bit. I was kind of thinking through that. You know, what does that mean? You know, when you think about, you know, to do evil is like sport to a fool. 
In other words, they practice it. You know, it's, it's a sporting activity. They practice it. They get kind of a rush out of it. They, there's enjoyment derived from it. You know, that's sporting events and things like that. That's the way we would see a, a sport or an activity like that. To do evil is like sport to a fool. Chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse 15, also has something to say. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Of course. But he who heeds counsel is wise. Again, contrasting view. A fool's wrath is known at once, but a prudent man covers shame. A fool's wrath is known at once. Just kind of spills out pretty quick. Chapter 14, beginning with verse 7. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but folly of fools is deceit. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright there is favor. They even mock at sin. Kind of gives you some insight on how to handle that. Go from the presence of a foolish man when you do not perceive in him the lips of knowledge. Don't get tied up in all that. Chapter 24 beginning with verse 7. Wisdom is too lofty for a fool. He does not open his mouth in the gate. He who plots to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of foolishness is sin. And the scoffer is an abomination to men. The devising of foolishness is sin. And wisdom, it's just a little bit too lofty for a fool. He won't listen to reason and good sound thought. I found something that's uh, interesting through my journeys anyway in, in life and as a believer is there is the, if you're willing to use an arena for, you know, like an arena, a, 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 not a rink, but actually like an arena, a, a, an area where you're in a place of discussion, for example, and you're trying to work through a discussion. And it's very important in the discussion that A, that there's the agreement of, of what that God's word is truth and, and, and so forth, that so that you have a platform to base your interaction and your discussion and work through issues and contemplations and things. But once someone leaves the arena of that type of discussion or leaves the arena of, of that kind of thought, you remember what we read for the definition that they, they, they're unable to you know, have clear understanding of either spiritual or natural common sense type, type of thing. You know, once you leave the arena of any of that, you're in trouble. You're, you're really wasting your time. It's, it's kind of where you get into that idea of rational thinking. And once you leave the arena of that, you're in trouble. I mean, once someone checks out from that, it's going to be hard to have good dialogue. These are just insightful things because we're going to learn more about how this really plays out with Nabal in a couple of minutes. In chapter 26, we also have a couple more. As snow in summer, verse 1 of chapter 26, and rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse will, without cause shall not alight. A whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. 
Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be wise, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Discernment in these situations. He who sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. In other words, that message is going to get distorted or not get there. Like the legs of, of, of the lame that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Like one who binds a stone in a sling is he who gives honor to a fool. Like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is the proverb in the mouth of, of fools. The great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor's wages. As a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So it even talks about pride, even leading to worse than just the, the regular foolish person would do. I know it's a little bit uh, tedious to go through that, but it's the, the value of it is to get this idea of just what because we just could use this term fool so lightly and so easily, and it just, man, there's a lot more implication to what it means to be a fool, to do foolishly, to make a foolish decision. There's a lot more to it than just what meets the eye. So this man, Nabal, man, he is a mess. He's got some bad practice in the way he handles himself. I thought it was interesting in the description, but the man was, this is the description of Nabal, whose name means fool. The man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was harsh. It's interesting that that's tied to this too, just kind of a harsh person. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, in verse 4, Samuel chapter 25, David sent 10 young men, and David said to the young men, go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, peace be to you, peace to your house, and peace to all you have. Now, I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we... Come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son, David. So David's young men came and spoke to Nabal according to all the words that David had said, and then they waited to hear Nabal's response. Now, this seems like, well, gosh, what's David doing? David, had, as we go on to this a little further, we'll find out that David was in that area, and his men had had protected and watched out over Nabal, some of Nabal's guys, their herdsmen and stuff, when they were kind of uh, running their flocks in that area and carrying, letting them graze and all this stuff. They kind of kept watch on them so that there's no, no bandits went on, you know, no, nothing was bad was happening to him. He was just kind of doing this, you know, a natural protection thing, kind of he was in the area. So he was just kind of keeping an eye on this guy and his men and stuff. And, and just, this is the thing. To us, it just seems like, well, that kind of seems kind of weird because now he's asking for kind of like this payment for protection, and that's kind of what the mafia does. So David's not being a mafia mobster right now. This is just common cultural practice. 
This is what they did. They would watch out over somebody's stuff that way, and then they would just, there would be some kind of reciprocation. For him to ask for that was legitimate. It wasn't weird. It wasn't, it was just something that was culturally uh, what they would do. He would send his guys and so a little delegate of representatives. They would go and kind of say, hey, could you give us some stuff? We got this uh, feast day coming, and Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, so this is Nabal's response to this. And again, remember, this is cultural. It's normal. What what David did is, is just business as usual. Now here's Nabal's response. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, who is David and who is the son of Jesse? So he starts disrespecting him right off the bat. There are many servants nowadays who break away each from his own master. He says, the guy's a renegade. The guy's a maverick, man. He's just doing his own thing out here. And, you know, why should I support him? Basically is what he goes on and says in verse 11, shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shears and give it to men when I, I do not know where they are from? He says, man, you know, there's no, we don't have any relationship here, man. What are you talking about? You know, he's just really kind of dissing on him and stuff. And so David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told David, told him all these words. And David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Now, this is an interesting thing, because we just saw David have this awesome victory, didn't he? in kind of this great self-restraint in, in the earlier chapter, in chapter 24, as he just kind of restrained himself. He had Saul right in the right spot. He could have just thrust Saul through, done away with the problem, moved on and been king and just been justified in everything he's doing because Saul was trying to kill him. He, he had perfect, he was delivered into his hand in that sense, but he didn't do that. He acted upon great restraint, handled it in a very godly way, an awesome way. And now, boom, he's got this guy that's responding to him in a, a pretty uh, aggressive manner. And unfortunately, I think it's kind of interesting, right on the heels of this great thing that he handled so well, all of a sudden this is a lesser deal, and he spins out and he's going to go act rashly over it. You ever found that to be true? You ever noticed how it is when you're on the mountaintop? You have this great, awesome experience, victory, victory, it went well, that situation I didn't flesh out like I normally would have, or whatever it might be. You have this great moment of victory in your journey with the Lord. Are you, does it happen to anybody else, or am I by myself with this, you guys? You got to give me. We're, we're, we're believers. We're not perfect. You know, we're, we're saved, but it's by God's grace. You miss the mark once in a while, right? We're on the same page, right? Okay. So you get what happens. You, you have this great victory. It goes good. You feel good about it. But then you turn the corner, and it's not but a moment that you get off that mountain, and you go down into the valley, and then all of a sudden you, you run right into the demoniac. You see, it, those things are there to show us what happens in our journey. No different than when Jesus showed us the pattern of teaching and testing, teaching and testing. We learn about something and boom, let's take a test on it. And a lot of us just get handed the test over and over and over again, but eventually we'll get it. God doesn't stamp fail on any of your stuff. It's just, you get to take it again. It's just, you get the great privilege of the exam over again, do over, do over, do over, do over, do over. But the idea is, is that here we see David had this great victory, a wonderful opportunity now again to really do something, walk in the spirit here in this situation. No, nope, man, gird on your swords. We're going to go, we're going to wipe this guy out. 
he's crossed the line. He's not doing us right, and that's, he's going to get just what he deserves. That's, that's his mindset. And David's just, it's totally just going to go deal with this all on his own. Great victory. Now all of a sudden he's in this spot. Now Nabal obviously answered, I'm just going to read this to you out of Proverbs chapter 15, because it is an, a good note for us to make of what he's done in his response. In chapter 15, verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise uses knowledge rightly, but the mouth of fools pours forth foolishness. So true. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Isn't that, it? what a great, right in front of us. The foolish person, and what kind of man was he? He was a harsh and evil in his doings. That harsh word, and what did it do? It stirred up anger. That's so, 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 so true. This harsh word, harsh response, it stirs up the anger. Man, David just had this great victory. Now all of a sudden he's all stirred up. In verse 14, now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, remember, she's, Abigail's cool. She's a good woman, attractive gal. Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. He was rude, disrespectful to them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them. They were in our field, in the fields with us. It was a, the journey with them was fine when they were around us. They were a wall to us, both by night and day. All the time we were in, with the keeping of the sheep. So the whole time they were out there caring for the flocks, these guys were out there amongst them and just, you know, were, were good to them. Now, therefore... Know, in verse 17, and consider what will you do? For harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. This guy is just difficult to deal with. Nobody wants to deal with Nabal. He's an idiot. It's, it's, there's, no, there's no, an idiot's an idiot. And, and when you get to these kind of things, you got to call it for what it is. The guy's a fool. He acts like a fool. His responses are harsh and abrasive. And it's just, he gets what, you know, you come off that way, you get that bad. You come off that way, you get that bad. You know, it's just, it's just part of the deal. And now he's disrespecting David. And David says, you know what, but I'm just going to take care of this. That's it. I'm going to go after him. This is the, one of the things. Just because someone does one thing to you doesn't mean that's necessarily you're obligated to respond in like fashion. Behold, all things have passed away. All things have become new. We're, we're a new creation in the Lord. I understand it happens to all of us, but we're not obligated to it. We can, in the Lord, go a new way, a new way in life. Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for tuning in today and listening to the message. I know that God is doing a work in your life. I know that as you hear his word, he's doing something in your heart. And he wants to 
begin that good work in your life as he's done in many of our lives and he wants to forgive you of your sin. Maybe some of you are just carrying that weight of sin and you just want to be forgiven. Well, God wants to forgive you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. God loves you. He wants to forgive you of all your sin. All you have to do is pray this simple prayer of faith and begin this new journey with Jesus. Again, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you, and God will forgive you. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Jesus, I want to ask that you would forgive me of my sin. You know exactly where I've been and what's been going on in my life, and I want to begin a new life in you. And so, Jesus, I ask that you would come into my heart and be my personal Lord and Savior, and that I would begin this new journey with you. I ask that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I might live a life that would please you and bring you glory. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you for saving me. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed and received the Lord into your heart today, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us or another Bible teaching church in your area so you may be encouraged in your new journey. If you'd like more information about Living Fountains or Calvary Chapel, Kansas City, simply visit our website at calvarychapelkc.com. And if you're social media savvy, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash calvarychapelkc. Also, Living Fountains podcasts are available in the iTunes store now, and you can download them at no cost. If you're in the Kansas City area and you'd like to join us for worship, we meet in Overland Park on Sunday mornings. The service times and directions can be found at calvarychapelkc.com, or you can simply contact the church office at 913-681-1635. It's been great spending time with you today in God's Word, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Living Fountains. Let's go.